Welcome back to another episode of the People of Packaging Podcast. I am your host, the Packaging Pastor, Adam Peake. You can find me on LinkedIn and on TikTok at Packaging Pastor. And you can find this podcast, well, wherever you're listening to it right now or online at peopleofpackaging.com. Today, I've got a really great episode. There's a series of episodes here of really awesome people that I've met through TikTok. And so I'm going to be joined by Erica Rankin from Brodo. She is building this incredible company is 100% plant-based edible cookie dough. Right now it's for sale in Canada. It's soon to be expanding out and she's doing some great things. You can find her on LinkedIn, on TikTok, on Instagram, as she is using social media and building a great product to sell what she's doing. So you can check out what they've got, brodo.ca, B-R-O-D-O-U-G-H dot C-A, and make sure you support this awesome, cool, growing company. So here's my interview with Erica Rankin. This is an exciting interview for me, Erica, because I've been, I I feel like I've been following you on uh, social media for a little bit. At least the LinkedIn algorithm is like, you want to see everything that Erica Rankin is putting out on LinkedIn. Uh, so I, I get to I get to interact with your with your story a little bit on social media from afar. So I'm super stoked to talk about packaging for you at Brodo and what it is that you're building and how you're building it is super fascinating to me. So I'm super honored to be joined by Erica Rankin here on the People of Packaging podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for reaching out and having me on. Yeah, for sure. How many packaging podcasts have you been on? Uh, at least what, seven or eight or nine or maybe one? I think maybe one. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. There's not a whole lot of, uh, there's not a whole lot of us out there. I, I've told this story before, but I got to do a, a TEDx talk and I started it with when I told my kids that I was going to start a packaging podcast and my daughter was like, what's so exciting about that? You put a label on a bottle and you put a bottle in a box. <laughs> and I was like, ah, there's a little bit more to that, Viv. And now, yeah. you know, here we are, uh, over 100 episodes talking about packaging in 60 different countries. So that's yeah. the thing that's happening. And yeah. one of them is uh, Canada. So, Erica, you're joining me from Canada. I would love to just give the listeners a, a just an overview of who you are and even just how did you arrive at this point in your journey where you have started and are running and you're really building it online too, I've noticed. Like you give people access to the positives and the negatives about what it is, not just all roses and fairy tales. So I've really been appreciative of that. So yeah, just do a quick introduction and we'll kind of get into your journey a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Erica. I'm from Ontario, Canada. And I initially went to school for psychology and that was kind of the path that I was pursuing. Um, graduated from that in 2017, grew up in a very small town. I never was exposed to entrepreneurship, never really knew that that was something that I could pursue. And actually during an existential crisis, I decided to quit my nine to five job. I worked in research. I also worked at a bakery. I was doing personal training on the side, quit all those jobs, was living at home with my parents, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I booked a trip to Thailand Um, And this is where I guess I got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, I started meeting entrepreneurs from all over the world. My trip was supposed to be one month, turned into three and a half months. 
fell in love with traveling, meeting people, listening to their stories. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I met, like when I talked to them and learned more about them and what they were doing, um, like the way that they spoke about work and the passion that came through was something that I'd never seen before. So I was kind of like, wow, this is really cool. People actually love what they're doing and they're not just living for the weekends and they love Mondays. Like, this is so weird. So I went home and then I kind of sat down with myself and figured out like how I can basically monetize a passion and better for you foods has always been a passion of mine. And then I launched Rodo shortly after, which is a protein infused better for you edible cookie dough, um, focused mainly on e-com and then I've managed to scale it and I'm going to be launching into retail stores, um, actually this year. So yeah, it's been a crazy journey and there's been lots of learning curves, but yeah, it's been an enjoyable one as well. Okay. You covered a whole lot there. So it is short in a very succinct amount of time, which was great. So you went to, you're in Thailand. What was it about Thailand? I've, I've never heard that. Like I was in Thailand and I met a bunch of entrepreneurs. Is that a common, is that common information that I've just never been privy to? Like there's some entrepreneurial secret out there that that's the place where people go to get inspired or what was it about Thailand that connected you to it? Ah, honest. I don't know. Maybe it was just like fate in a way. I kept bumping into people who did different things. Like, um, so I started in Thailand and I ended up going all the way through. Um, so Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, kind of all over Southeast Asia. And, um, I just kept bumping into people that were doing all different types of things, like nomads, like working on their laptop, doing like, um, I don't know, marketing from the beach, just like working in the morning. And then they would take the rest of the day off and just, go veg and chill. Um, and that's kind of the way that they worked. And then I met someone who had like a moving company and he would work for six months. And then the other six months of the year, he would go away and just kind of oversee everything. I met someone who, uh, used to be a lawyer, hated, hated law, got out of that, moved to Thailand, um, started buying properties and flipping and like building these immaculate houses and selling them for like millions of dollars. And um, it was just, it was really cool because all of these people had the same thing in common. They had no business experience. And I think the, the common like misperception of entrepreneurship is that like, you have to have it all figured out. You have to have that business background. You have to know what you're getting yourself into, but honestly, no one knows what they're doing half the time. And a lot of people just don't openly say that. So there's like, oh, wow, they're doing all this stuff. They're so successful. They're so great. But then you don't see all the other shit that goes on behind closed doors. And then it makes you think that it's not achievable for you. Right. Cause right. there's that like, you know, uncharted, like scary waters, um, but they're there for those people as well. They just don't tell it. They don't show it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think that's what I've really appreciated about, about the, the Brodo journey is that you've laid it all out there. Not all of it, obviously, but enough to be like, Hey, Erica, this is, this is not the easiest thing in the world to just be like, I'm going to start a company and then the company starts and then you're making $10 million a year and then you sell it and then you live in Thailand. <laughs> I mean, the, like, yeah. there's, there's a lot that goes into that as well. And I've, I've really appreciated that you are putting that out there for other people to follow along with, I guess, uh, along with your journey. So, and I'm sure that you've felt that engagement back, right? Through social platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no, that means a lot to me. And that, that's kind of like my purpose and my goal. Like when I went on social media, whether it be like, um, gosh, I guess LinkedIn was like the first one that I really like 
went all in on um, just over a year ago. But I never really envisioned like growing a following or really kind of being an influencer, like having like a community behind me. I just kind of wanted to show people that this stuff is hard and there's good days, but there's also bad days. And the thing that like really, I don't know, it was really discouraging for me going on there and just scrolling through my home, like newsfeed or whatever, and then seeing all the good things going on for people like fundraising and building out a team and um, gosh, like getting into retail stores or expanding into another market, like all these things. And I was like struggling so hard. I plateaued. I didn't have a team. I didn't know how to grow my business. I felt like everything was going wrong. I was, I was thinking about closing the business because I wasn't sure if entrepreneurship was for me. Um, and then I started having calls with other entrepreneurs and it was just like all the adversity that we face at every, at every stage, it doesn't matter what, what stage you are at your business, you all have hurdles that you have to come over. Um, but no one talks about it. So I was like, right. you know what, I'm, I'm gonna talk about it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you did. It, it's, it's the thing that you're right. It's, there's another guy who actually, he lives here in Salt Lake now, but he's done a similar thing with his product. He's got totally different market but his name is rob palecki and he's got this washy toilet seats if you've seen him on linkedin at all and he just built his company online and he talks about the good times and he talks about the sales that didn't go well and the installs that didn't happen and and then the wins and it's it's just really refreshing because we all sort of know it we all know what happens but probably having a psychology degree or a background is really useful in that which is if we just fill our minds with all of that stuff, whether it's body image on Instagram or entrepreneurial image on LinkedIn or whatever is happening with TikTok, I've, I'm still in the middle of figuring that <laughs> whole thing out. But whatever it is, you know, to, to sort of do the opposite and to be honest with, with where you're at, I would imagine was not only cathartic for you, but was also some, a catalyst for building a community. Is that would those two things have gone hand in hand? Absolutely. Um, and I never really realized how big of an impact you can have just by like, I think I had 12 connections when I got on LinkedIn over a year ago and I just started putting stuff out and it started to resonate with a lot of people. And, um, again, like I'm someone who was an introvert at heart and I don't really have a huge circle of people. Even back then I didn't really have that many friends or that many people I could go to and talk to. So, um, building out that community was like really weird for me. It was like, wow, these people actually care about what I have to say. This is so weird. Um, it still kind of is weird to me, but it's really nice. And you know what? Like, I think with entrepreneurship, it's such a giving community. Like, um, I remember reaching out to people asking questions and they were giving me free time and free advice. And now it's funny, like things have kind of turned around. Like I have people coming to me and now I'm mentoring and it's really cool. And it's really, it's really fulfilling too. That's so awesome. Yeah. I, I have a video right now on, of all places, TikTok that has like 200,000 views and it's me Ah. talking about white label opacity on a salad dressing label. And my my wife and I are like looking at it, like, really? Like this is a thing that people, I don't don't know. It's it like, it's, it's a different situation than what you went through. Cause yours were like, people were following you and they're like, Hey, I can I reach out now and then the tables are kind of turned. No one's reached out to me to be like, hey, can you teach me how to make TikTok videos about salad dressing labels? Please don't, by the way. <laughs> Please don't reach out to me. About that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's, that's cool. So I want to dig into the product and we got to get into packaging because after all, this is a 
packaging podcast. So, but I think that the story is really important to kind of get into how we connected and, and what you're doing. So you have a, it's a, would you describe it as a better for you or a good for you edible cookie dough? Yeah, that's right. Okay. That sounds incredible. What does it mean though? <laughs> Cause I, I want to, I want to eat it. My son, my 14 year old son is like, he's, he loves playing basketball and he has got this like trainer guy. who's like, you got to eat X amount of protein. You got to eat healthy. So now he's like looking at ingredients protein. for the first time in his life. So I'm like, Oh shoot. Now I got to <laughs> hook him up. I try to get him some Brodo. Uh, yeah. so what, tell me about the, the product a little bit. Yeah. So the product is hundred percent plant-based um, and it does not taste like dirt. I promise. Uh, so it's completely plant-based. It has five times the amount of protein found in regular cookie dough and half the amount of sugar. Um, and it's, yeah, no artificial sweeteners. And it's kind of like a cleaner um, improved version of a nostalgic treat. And we don't have eggs or anything in it. We use heat treated flour and that's the thing with regular cookie dough is it's not really the eggs that you need to be careful with, like the raw eggs, it's the flour because it's not baked, it's not heat treated, and it can have bacteria in it, like E. coli, which can make you really sick. That's bad. Um, yeah, that is not good. And it's very rare. It's very rare that it happens. Like I've ate so much raw cookie dough growing up and I'm okay, but you know, it does happen and it is a risk. Um, but yeah, it's just like a, a better version of a guilty treat. Um, Got it. Yeah. And normally I wait till the end of the podcast to ask this question, but we're going to do it right here, which is how do people buy it? Like, let's just do the quick, let's do the promotion right now. Okay. And I want to talk about packaging. So how do people buy, how do people buy Brodo currently? Is it all online, especially here in the U S most of the listeners are here in the United States. So how would somebody get their hands on it? If they have a 14 year old who wants sweets, but also five <laughs> times the amount of protein. <laughs> So sadly, um, I can't sell into the U.S. yet. But, oh, but I know I have. Yeah, everyone in my now every day. When are you? When are you selling the U.S.? When are you going to sell the U.S.? Um, yeah, it's. I have to find, and we can kind of get into this. But yeah, I have to basically find a three PL or a fulfillment across the border before I get there and make that happen. But that's okay. that's going to happen this year. This Sweet. year, I'm going to sell into the U.S. Um, but if you're Canadian, you can order online. It's just brodo.ca, and then we're going to be launching into retail stores across Canada as well this year. Oh, nice. B-R-O-D-O-U-G-H dot C-A? Yeah. Awesome. That's a great URL too. Congrats yeah. on getting that one. So, okay. So this, this will sort of get us into the conversation on packaging because packaging, we, we talk about it all the time on the podcast. Obviously, I spend a lot of time talking about it to my network, but, but packaging really has a lot of implications from marketing people really only see the marketing or like the material it's made out of, but they miss the fact that it's got a, it's, it provides transportation, it provides protection, it provides shelf stability. It does a whole lot of stuff. So is, is your product, is it a frozen, like it's a cookie dough. So I'm guessing it has to be refrigerated. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's stored frozen. And then when it is sold in stores, it's in the refrigerator. Okay. And has that been part of the, what, what's been the biggest hangup from getting to the U S and it, you said it's the three PL or is it the FDA or is it, do you have to make it here or can you ship it across? I don't, I'm just kind of curious what I, that's been. 
Yeah. So it's definitely coming. I think um, as an entrepreneur, like our eyes are really big and we want to go everywhere and be everywhere mm. like all at once. Um, so I've kind of dialed it down and I've tried to be more strategic with my go-to market strategy. Like I just launched actually my new and improved website and new product last Thursday. So everything is super new. Did that have new my, packaging, by the way? I thought I saw that. I have new packaging. Yeah. Um, it's new and improved. Oh, nice. If yeah. you're if you're listening to this, it's uh, <laughs> that's a, so do you have what, like, is that like a, is that IML then? No. <laughs> okay. Is that that's a pressure sensitive label or is it direct? Yeah. Echo? Uh yeah, they're they're they were hand stuck. Um that's yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's a is it like a polypropylene tub? Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, I guess like um maybe rewinding a little bit, like uh my packaging has evolved. Um and actually the funny thing is my old packaging apparently like I went viral on TikTok, and the reason why I went viral is because a lot of people thought that my product was slime <laughs> was slime yeah <laughs> <laughs> because um I had the same packaging so they, for some reason Gen Z's play with slime it's like a thing it's a trending oh thing. yeah I have five um, children they love playing with slime Okay, you know, you know, and apparently they make a lot of slime that looks like food now and they have like cookie dough slime. And oh. I think because I had the same packaging as slime, people thought that it was slime. Oh. Um, so that was, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, so eventually yeah, my packaging evolved. Uh, at the beginning, I used to print my own labels and stick them on. Mm -hmm. And from a cost perspective that just was not economical I should have been ordering my labels um and that was a big ouchie that I did and then I remember I bought the wrong labels and like I had them in the freezer and the dye was running on them and I had oh. to peel them off and stick them back on and um eventually I ended up ordering labels that were freezer grade so I didn't mm -hmm. have that issue anymore um but then the other issue that I had as well with my old plastic packaging was like heavy um I wish I could like show you what it was. Do you, did you, do you know my old packaging? Did you, do you remember? Let's no. They're like jars, like plastic jars, like you line. Oh yeah. Okay. You know what I know, I'm talking I know about? what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I had troubles with that shipping that cause they would crack. They would crack really easy. Right. They, they didn't really have any flexibility to them. Um, right. And then, yeah. And then I guess as I started to grow the business, I had to look into new packaging and then I ran into the MOQ hurdle. Um, which was, yeah, it was a real, a real big hurdle. And, uh, even, um, I think for IML, cause I have four SKUs, the minimum was 25,000 per SKU, mm -hmm. which is a lot when you're a startup. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to, that's from the container company, right? Cause there are, you weren't going to buy IML labels yourself. That was going to be, who's ever making the container. You would have to own 25. It's not like you could just buy a hundred thousand blank containers and then somehow magically yeah. post manufacturing injection mold label them so i could yeah. see how having that inventory stock would be a, a cash flow crunch yeah it's also scary because maybe a SKU is not going to sell well or maybe i have yep. to change something on my packaging or you never know like there's so many um unknowns i guess as you start to grow so the thing that i ended up doing um I ordered blank containers that they already had in stock 
And then I ordered from the same company, they actually printed labels and then they stuck them. But because this is so labor intensive, it's expensive. Um, so each they were hand labeling all the containers. Cost a pretty penny, 20,000 of them. Yeah. <laughs> and they were hand labeling those. Yes. These are all hand labeled. Oh, and does it have a taper on it? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. They're really talented though. They did a really good job. It doesn't look like it's done by hand. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. And, and they're in, are they, are they local? Is everything made in Canada then? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the pack, but I'm talking about the, uh, yeah. your ingredients. Like your, you, do you, um, do you have a kitchen? Like, do you go make it now or do you use like a contract manufacturer? So I used to make it and I actually had my first production run last month with my manufacturer. So now all of that, um, is done for me, which is really great. <laughs> that had to have been a massive burden. Yeah. I lift uh, it off your getting, shoulder. getting there though. It took, I think we started talking to them in March, so it took a long time to get everything set up, but it was well worth it for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So before yeah. the call, we were, when we were talking about packaging, uh, and I, and I warned you. I, I did give the warning that if we talk about this, you may have to deal with annoying packaging salespeople. Sorry, packaging salespeople. I love you dearly, but <laughs> it's it could just happen. So, but you said packaging is currently the bane of my existence, which is, <laughs> you know, it's a lot to say that. But is that is that the primary? Is it the secondary? Is it the labeling? Is it supply chain and MOQs and sort of all of that? Is that or is there, is there more to the story right now when it comes I, to packaging struggles? Yeah, I think it's kind of everything. Um, like MOQs is definitely a big piece. Lead times is another big piece. Like you really need to be strategic and have everything laid out. Um, and I guess for me, I guess like launching new into the market, I don't know what my velocity is. I don't know how much packaging I'm going to be going through. I don't know how much to order up front. Um, again, it takes a huge hit to your cash flow if you're paying for all of this inventory as well. So um, the other thing too is just like the cost. Like I'm gonna be straight up. Like each of these plastic units is over a dollar. Yeah. Um, which is it's it's a lot. Um, and for IML, I think I could get it for like thirty or forty cents or something if I were to order a hundred thousand, which is a big difference. Um, but um, I guess with like new product development as well, like I want to launch new SKUs. And then if I go to order packaging, it's like, okay, well, then you have to order the minimum or you're going to be paying more money for right. each singular unit. And then there's like the eight week lead time or whatever it is. Um, and also too, like right now, the supply chain, it's kind of all messed up. Um, I had a friend reach out to me and um, her original, um, I guess, supplier for her packaging, they're all out of her container. So She's like, can you hook me up with your um, container manufacturer? Cause I literally have no packaging and I have my product. Um, so people are really struggling right now. Yeah. It's, it's a massive struggle right now. And in, in the entire, across <clears throat> almost every aspect of the packaging industry is being disrupted from the same, the same things that are disrupting other, other industries as well, right? Labor shortages. So finding people to run equipment, to run printing presses is tough. Uh, the increase in those costs has gone up. The, and, and then just the health, right? You've got people who you rely on and then they get COVID and then they're out for two weeks, and, but they're yeah. the only ones who can run the press. And so the press just sits, it, it's, it's on and on and on and on. It's not an excuse, it's just the reality of what's, of what's occurring. 
I've been encouraging, and I would give you the same, the same encouragement, which is as much as you can having multiple suppliers that you have mm-hmm. qualified and, and it's annoying to do. I totally get it. It's like the last thing you probably want to be doing is qualifying additional packaging suppliers. But at this point right now, I just, I think it's one of the most valuable things that brands can do because we're going to emerge from the supply chain issues and from COVID. I, I have full confidence in that. But there, there may be some sort of a whiplash back and, and preparing for that. And, and may, especially as your company is growing, you're not, you know, Nestle or some massive company that is, is going to, it has some, a level of predictability, right? I mean, you are one more viral TikTok video away from having a demand that completely <laughs> skyrockets, which is a great problem. You have this like elasticity that's going on. And so having, you know, maybe multiple container suppliers, multiple label suppliers that, that you can go to, not to like run pricing off of, just to keep your supply chain going, I think is really mm-hmm. critical. It's critical for almost every brand. I was telling somebody today, are, are you a basketball fan at all? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've gone to like a Raptors game here it's in Toronto, fine. but that's <laughs> it's fine. But so in, in the NBA right now, as we're recording this interview, COVID is just, it's, there's a lot of players who are out because of COVID. And so there's all of, there's like this bench of players who were not in the NBA that are signing these like 10 day emergency contracts. They'll come in and play for the team for two weeks and then they go back to wherever they the minor league system that they were in and they might get called up to another team for 10 days they've sort of developed this like emergency strategy and having that in your supply chain i think is something that's never really been looked at like who are my emergency suppliers that i can rely on that i'm not doing a lot of business with which sounds hard but you kind of need to know those people who are like, yeah, we'll bail you out. Like we got Mm -hmm. your back. We know we're not going to get a lot of business, but somebody who's going to have your back like that, I think is really critical and important from a package. I would imagine from a raw material perspective as well on down the list, right? The same strategy would be useful, but it's exhausting. Yeah, no, it's, (laughs) it's a great point. It's a great point. And you know what? Like I have mentors and I've taken like accelerators and stuff and they really, um, express the importance of not for packaging, but for even co-packing, like having a backup co-manufacturer just in case you get booted or something happens or they can no longer make your product or like, especially if you're a startup and you're not moving a ton of product, you're kind of not a priority for them really. So that's the other thing, but yeah, packaging that is Super important because you can have all the product in the world, but if you have nothing to put it in, you can't sell it. So that's yeah, yeah super great point. Yeah, no doubt. And so you're have you had any um how well let me ask you this question then. Cause you talked about how you had you, you look like slime and you went, you know, viral on TikTok. I don't know I don't know what viral on TikTok means, but I'm guessing it's it's an important part of your business. Have you really relied on social media to be a driver of business development? And if so, has packaging played a positive and it sounds like even maybe a negative role in that? Uh, So yeah, I definitely do rely. Like I have been very, very scrappy. Like I've spent $1,500 on marketing in the past two years, which is like pretty unheard of because I've had a lot of success with um, TikTok this year. Like TikTok has kind of been my um, 
go-to place to market and advertise my product. Like I've grown it to over 200,000 followers since last March, I believe. Um, But yeah, I mean, do you hear that? It's okay. It's the fire alarm. Is it really? Do you got to (laughs) go? No, no. Yeah. They go off like every day. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no, it's fine. It's fine. That's a, that I don't I don't ha- I don't have to leave, but um Are you sure? Actually no, it, it, it should be okay. Um no, I think we're okay. Okay, we're they almost were doing, done. Yeah, okay. They were doing tests. Yeah, I don't know. This this happens a lot here. I moved here like in October and I'm like looking to move out. So Wow. <laughs> wow. Um but yeah, what, what was I saying? Um, you were saying you have 200,000 followers on TikTok. Yeah. You've been really scrappy. And I guess I was yeah. curious, have you have you had any... I've just recently gotten involved in TikTok maybe two months ago. And it's been shocking to me the level of engagement around packaging that I, I'll just go to a store and make a quick video. And it's like, you know, 50 to 100,000 views. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I don't understand this platform very well, but I apparently people are engaging with packaging. Is that a thing that you have dove into or what, what's your, what's your social strategy on TikTok? So, um, yeah, my first viral video was just, I think cookie dough, like mixing in a mixer and I had a voiceover on it. Um, and for some reason, because there's so many slime accounts on there that do the same thing, like it looks like food or like cookie dough in a mixer, but it's actually slime. And I think majority of my followers are kids, like they're Gen Z, they're that, um, they're the age that plays with slime. So a lot of them thought I had slime and then it kind of tied into my packaging as well. They're like, wow, this looks like slime, but it's cookie dough. That's so weird. Um, So I kind of just took it and ran with it and I made it like a joke, like an inside joke that I was selling slime on, on my TikTok and people were like confused and intrigued and like people will get in arguments in the comments, like saying like, it looks like slime and no, it doesn't look like slime. And, and you just um, let them keep guessing. You're just like, we, just keep- yeah, we love controversy. Controversy boosts that video and the algorithm. It's great. Um, so yeah, I definitely, um, and I, I posted like a, another TikTok about like my new packaging and um, people are like, oh, it looks like Play-Doh now. And I'm like, okay, sure. I can't win with <laughs> these people. <laughs> um, it doesn't look like Play-Doh. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it does. It, it be, it's like in a yellow, isn't Play-Doh all in still in like a yellow. Yeah. I think container? so. I think, I think they just like giving me a hard time. Truthfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, somebody commented on one of my videos the other, it was yesterday. I think they said, I'm too high for packaging TikTok right now. And I'm like, why did you have to comment on that? I, I don't know. It's a weird. That's it's hilarious. Weird, it's a weird place for sure. Uh, well, that's that's cool. Well, so Erica, we're we're here at the end of our conversation, and and it's been awesome and super. I I hope encouraging for people, not only from a packaging perspective, just to see, as you have done already, sort of just putting your own struggles out there, and also your own victories out there, and putting out your packaging struggles, um, is is awesome, you know, and hopefully there are people in my network that can, that can help you out to get, to get through some of this stuff. Uh, yeah. But also, but also I think if there are people who are in the packaging industry and quite candidly, maybe you're like, I kind of hate my job, but I have this idea. Uh, you know, make sure you follow Erica as well. If you're trying to get out of your nine to five and you want to be inspired and see what it's really like, uh, 
I want to encourage everyone to to follow what you're doing on LinkedIn, on on a, a TikTok, I guess, as well as our other platforms. They should connect up with you. Yeah, no, thanks, Adam. I guess my username is Brodo Canada on TikTok, and then just okay. Erica Rankin on um, LinkedIn. Brodo Canada on TikTok. Yeah. All yeah. right, I'll make sure that I'm following you, and cool. and eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed, 2022 is the year that I have a stocked fridge with uh with brodo here in in salt lake city utah yes yes absolutely i would love that <laughs> awesome well if you're in canada go get some go get some brodo at b-r-o-d-o-u-g-h dot c-a uh, if you're not in canada but you want to follow a really awesome human uh, make sure you follow erica rankin on linkedin or brodo canada on tiktok erica it's been awesome thank you so much for being on your your first packaging podcast i know it's a medal yeah. of honor <laughs> yeah no thanks so much for having me adam awesome thanks hey that wraps up another edition of the people of packaging podcast it would mean so much if you would like and share rate review subscribe because we want to change the world because we believe that packaging is awesome